Great. Welcome to another episode of the Speech and Repeat podcast today with Sophie Chung. Hi, Sophie. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm very good. Uh, I mean, we talked already a little bit before I press recording. Uh, I'm excited for this. You are an incredible a woman that is doing a lot of great stuff. You know, lots of things that we can talk about. And uh, as always, we start with the same same question. You know, we would like to understand who is it that we're talking to. So please give us some 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 background information. On where are you coming from? You know, who's Sophie? What did you do? Where are you now? And how did you end up where you are today? Yeah, sure. Happy to. So yeah, I'm Sophie. I'm originally from Austria, so I'm Austrian. Uh, my parents are from Cambodia, and my grandparents are from China. Um, they were refugees um, and ended up in Austria, and this is what, where I was born. Um, I went to school there. I uh, afterwards uh, went to med school, studied medicine, sinology, and philosophy, so everything except business. My goal was to become an academic, uh, stay in research, and at one point go to work for Doctors Without Borders. Uh, but, well, then life happened, and um, things went a different way. I left medicine. I joined the dark side, the business side of things. I went to work uh, for a large management consulting company for McKinsey for almost five years, but I stayed true to the healthcare sector. So I think it's safe to say that healthcare has been my, and will most likely be, always be my professional passion. Um, and after my time at McKinsey, I uh, moved to New York to join a digital health startup called ZocDoc. Um, it's pre-IPO, very successful. I spent three years there. And during that time, I decided to start my own company. Uh, my own company is my first baby. Um, it's uh, a digital health startup based in Berlin. I started it six years ago. We are a digital platform that helps patients find the right doctor and help them be guided throughout the whole patient journey um, on, one, on the one side. And on the other side, we, do, we, we help doctors and hospitals do exactly that, help patients go through and experience a patient journey that is nothing short uh, than amazing. Um, and I already mentioned, that's my first baby. I had my second real baby um, almost two years ago. And yeah, that's kind of in the nutshell of who I am and where I am. Amazing. All right. I do have a million questions, <laughs> but, but let's start, let's start with the, you know, let, let, let's start smooth into this whole, whole conversation. Um, all right. Medicine. I mean, you know, medicine is, is obviously, it's probably not one of the easier studies one can choose. And uh, it also takes some time, right? So, uh, I mean, I've, personally, me, uh, I've, I've been talking to a lot of people with a, you know, with a medical background. And um, I, I think in the US now, you see more and more people, uh, you know, from medicine kind of joining the dark side, as you called it. So starting businesses, but why not stay in medicine? So what was kind of that you know, that moment or that trigger that kind of uh, led you into, you know, into joining McKinsey and, and you know, not really saying in, in medicine what you've been trained on for, for many years, right? Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's a very um, fair point. And what at this point I always say is, you know, I never, I never left medicine because I didn't like it there anymore. Um, I left medicine because I was curious about other opportunities that were offered to me. I think, you know, if my life didn't go the way it went and I didn't have the opportunity. So basically I ended up doing an internship at McKinsey and then they made me an offer to stay there permanently. I and the internship happened because I was looking for a job 
um, in my in in my between my semesters, right? So if I didn't end up in that internship, I don't think I would have ever left medicine because that's what, as you said, this is what you're trained for. This is you know what you signed up for. All you do and all you hear uh, in med school is how you treat patients and learn about diseases and drugs and all of that. So I think for me it was more of a okay, cool. What what else is out there? And um, what other learning opportunities do I get by kind of breaking out of the traditional path? And I've always I've always said that one day I will I will go back and be a doctor again. And people always ask me, are you are you still having that plan? And to be honest, I can you know I don't know when, but maybe one day I will go back and be a doctor and go and work for Doctors Without Borders. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you do have the option, right? So uh, definitely not a, not a closed window there. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think you've, you've spent about five years at McKinsey, right? So yeah. uh, that's a lot of flights and a lot of different hotels and different places. Uh, um, that, that's for sure. Uh, so let's, let's talk about what, what did shape you during your time with McKinsey which is not the obvious, you know, McKinsey that, you know, what, what kind of McKinsey brings to a person, but like, what is unique for you? You know, what, what was your unique experience with McKinsey that kind of led you to, to the next step? So two things. Um, personally, I realized that a lot of things that people do in life, you can learn. Um, I came out straight out of med school. I was a doctor. I joined McKinsey with all those amazingly smart people around me. Many of them went to business school. And um, that's, you know, one of the things that I was clearly lacking. I had never seen a balance sheet before, or I've never looked at a PL, I, you know, all these things. Um, but what I realized is that a lot of things that happen in life are based on kind of common sense and logic and kind of basic understanding of numbers and, 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 and facts. And I think that was one of the things that kind of took the magic and the threshold away for me to enter new fields that were outside of my comfort zone. So I think that was, that was one big thing. And the other thing was, and I mentioned, you know, I've been, I've always worked in healthcare also at McKinsey was that I started to realize that the healthcare system is, is messed up almost anywhere. And, you know, and I think health, I mean, health is one of the most important things in life for any one of us and for society, but nobody is happy in that system. Patients are not happy, doctors are not happy, you know, insurances are not happy. It's like, you know, the, the system is just really, really messed up. And I think that was the second part of realization that came to me after a time where, and, I think that sparked the inspiration to later move on and become a founder and entrepreneur is to, is to really not want to accept the fact that nobody in healthcare is happy, despite the fact that health and healthcare is such an important part in life. Yeah, uh, I mean, absolutely. I, I think anyone that has kind of worked, uh, you know, worked within healthcare or has kind of dug deeper into the, the system behind it has realized that. I also always say like, for me personally, and that's my own opinion, I always believe that, you know, health or working on improving human's health is, is 
I don't find any other cause that is more rewarding or more fulfilling than that, you know, because like what else, right? Uh, and that, that, that can only come or that, uh, I think people can only understand that once they've been in the situation that they really need, needed to worry about their own health or uh, let's say of the health of, you know, some of their loved ones, for example. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I always say without health, we are nothing. And yeah, yeah that's, uh, as you said, you know, some people don't realize it, but um, I think, I mean, you know, if there's one good part about this pandemic is I think a lot of people started to realize now that how, how important healthcare is. Although, you know, the different, the, the difficult part is because there's, um, um, I haven't found yet the right, um, short description of what I'm trying to uh, describe to you right now is that there's this um, there's this balance between okay freaking out about health because anything can happen anytime that that's for sure right <laughs> uh, just just a matter of probability and then consciously realizing okay there's things that can we move forward there's uh, your own health that you need to take care of right if you don't care of it right if you don't take care of it right now you will pay later it's it's this weird dynamic that plays in between you know taking take you know being conscious about about health and not let's say freaking out all the time because like what you see with the pandemic right now happening I, I, there's a crazy societal challenges in that like people walk on the sidewalk and like you know jump away because they're like they're scared to like be in the presence of anyone else right yeah no i 100% agree and i think that opens a different <laughs> a can of worms in, in terms of topics but for yeah. sure and you know my my point here is to 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 not say hey let's prevent all diseases or hey let's you know like be create a society that is as healthy as possible because that yeah. you know that just creates many other levels of friction what i'm trying to say is if somebody is in need for health care this person should receive the health care he or she deserves and that is something that I think every society should strive for um, to treat the sick and the ill people in the society with the respect and the care and the resources that are required. And I think that's not the case. Yeah, absolutely. So then let's, let's kind of jump to the next chapter. There's probably someone that you met or some, some sort of um, event that happened that you decided to, to, join, a, to join a startup. Uh, in New York, obviously in the health space, but like, what is the story behind that? How 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 did that come about? Well, the kind of the somewhat short story was so that let's go back to 2013. This is when I left McKinsey, and this is when I joined Softdoc in New York. In 2013, uh, there was nothing going on in digital health in Europe, or nothing big, or nothing that was somewhat successful. Um, so basically, the digital health scene was non-existent. And I knew I wanted to do something in digital health because everything we just talked about, like all the inefficiencies in healthcare and, you know, all of that to, for me, and I'm, I'm absolutely convinced the key is technology. The key to disrupt that industry is by levering technology and, you know, taking most of the pain away that technology can, get, that technology can solve. So I knew I wanted to go into digital health because that was something that, you know, I couldn't stop thinking about, but there was nothing that was going on in Europe that fascinated me where I was like, this is the company I wanted to join. This is, this is where I wanted to go. So I had to look to the US and they were, you know, the first large digital health companies um, emerging. And one of them was, was ZocDoc in New York. And it just, 
you know, for me, that was kind of the North Star. It's like, I want to go and work there. I want to see that from the inside. I want to learn. I want to understand what it takes to become so successful in digital health in an industry that is so messed up. Yeah. And, and then obviously you probably had a, a very steep learning curve, uh, crazy experience. I mean, New York as a place as well is, is, is obviously unique in itself. What, what was your kind of biggest, uh, biggest learning or biggest takeout from that? And then follow up question to that. Why not stay in New York? Mm. I think, well, I mean, you know, there are, of course, a thousand learning points that I, that, that I could talk about. I think one big thing that's, that, that struck me um, was the diversity of people you would see there, especially working in tech. That's still something that, you know, you don't see in Germany. And I still remember one of the first all hands meetings we had at Zofdorf. I was sitting on a bar stool in the back. So I was slightly elevated um, compared to all the other people who were sitting on, on normal chairs. And I looked there and you see, you saw all types of people in all colors. And I was like, holy shit, this is what the world looks like. And this is how it should look like everywhere. And this is how it should look. This is how a company should look like who builds healthcare solutions for people who look like them, right? So I think, I mean, yes, you know, I learned how to scale. I learned how to be product centric. I learned how to, you know, think about customers and be obsessed about net promoter score and things like these. Um, I think those things you can learn many places. What really struck me was the type of people you could find there and would work together and the diversity you could see there. So that was very impressive. Why didn't I stay in New York? Really good question. Many, you know, many different reasons. I, I, I wanted to start a company. I knew that I'm going to be stuck in that place that I'm going to choose to live in next. I kind of, I, I knew that I didn't want to stay in the U.S. for the rest of my life. Um, that was a year before Donald Trump came, um, came into office too. Um, that was, I think, one underlying reason. This other underlying reason was that was kind of a value for money um, thought. Where yeah. could I raise the most amount of money and be most efficient on this? And back then, and still is, Berlin is just three times cheaper than New York in anything. So that was kind of the, the second reason why I decided uh, to come back. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so you, you go back to Berlin. It's, it's 2016. Uh, I mean, you know, the world obviously looked a lot uh, different in 2016. So did you, did you go to Berlin, you know, before having the idea? Or let's talk about this, the days, months before kind of the decision of, let's say, or the idea for, for founding and starting the company, including, you know, the process behind coming to that idea, the, the team, etc. all these interesting, important things. Yeah, <laughs> so... For me, it was it was an evolutionary approach. So I didn't, you know, I, I didn't have this light bulb moment. I was like, okay, oh my God, that's it. Um, it was more of being f f really, really frustrated about what's going on in healthcare and really, you know, thinking about what one could do to help alleviate that. And no surprise, there's no simple answer to that because otherwise somebody would have done it right it's it's a thousand reasons why healthcare is like that but then I went down the road and went down the path and said you know what are the biggest reasons or where are the biggest points that could be changed or influenced and for me one of the most important decisions a patient makes in his or her healthcare journey is when he or she decides to go for treatment and chooses a doctor right like 
if you end up with a good doctor, you everything else will play out very differently. Um, whereas, um, whereas if you end up with a bad doctor or with the wrong doctor, I'm not even saying you know the doctor is is, is not uh, is 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 not able to 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 treat you, but maybe it's the the wrong place that you went to, and then everything can play out as a, to, to, to become a disaster. And I so for me it was kind of the interface or that point where a patient decides to enter the healthcare system and decides for his or her direction to go. But when you think about how patients make decisions, it's it's insane, basically, right? Like it's one of the most important decisions you make, but you have no way to make an informed decision. You basically go to the place that your health insurance covers. You basically go to the place that has the next open appointment. You basically go to the place where maybe your friend tells you to go to. And I mean, that's already a much better, yeah. a, a much uh, kind of a better uh, entry point than just going to the next best option. And I think this is where a big, the biggest, one of the biggest inefficiencies in healthcare happen that patients don't end up at the right place. And on the same time, the doctors are not ending up seeing the right people because then they have to, you know, refer them to other doctors or patients are not ready for the treatment, uh, yada, 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 and all that, that. So that that was kind of the fundamental idea behind QNO Medical to say, let's create, you know, a platform that helps patients be matched with the right doctor and the other way around so that we take out all the noise, all the time, all the inefficiencies from that one process step and then build it from there. And so that was QNO Medical. We started this platform. We onboarded a bunch of doctors in 35 different countries uh, we offer these to our patients that, hey, for any treatment that you need, that you're looking for, we offer you a number of treatment options with a number of doctors based on, you know, a data-driven process to help you make an informed decision and be happy and content with that. And we will be with you throughout your whole patient journey. And uh, so kind of this is, this is where I ended up with after this at the the huge frustration at the beginning, and that's what we still do today, just better and bigger. Right, interesting. And let me let, let me let me ask a couple of questions. Okay, so I, I guess the so what you said, so the inefficiency and kind of the process of a patient having an issue. So obviously that starts with the fact that I think, let me kind of come from my own experience, right? And, and my own observations is as, okay, so most of the people, if we take Germany, right? The country that we're both based in right now, most of the people live in, let's say more rural areas, right? We don't have these large metropolitan uh, you know, cities. I mean, the biggest city we have does not even have 5 million people in there. So um, it obviously always starts with, okay, so I do have a problem, right? I do start with my, let's say my regular doctor, right? That I have. And, and that guy basically sends me somewhere, right? And that is oftentimes the most close, the, the closest place. The underlying factor of, uh, of, of this entire journey starts with trust, right? So trust in the doctor, right? So you as a regular person that has no medical background, right? It's just like a a person has has no knowledge of medicine or whatever, you trust a doctor, right? And the entire image you have of that person and the field, right? That 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 person represents kind of expertise for you. That's where you start. And then oftentimes it's just like, okay, so the, this guy basically says, I need to go there. 
right? Obviously, he's going to send me to the nearest location. My question is, okay, what does best solution mean or best doctor mean in the sense of, if I think about it, if I go to, let, let's take something, not, not something complex, but something that is um, two, th- two years ago or three years ago, I had a, uh, an issue with my nose, which, uh, so, which is the regular issue, which, um, you know, most, most people have is, you know, correcting the um, septum. What is, exactly, correcting yeah. the septum, right? And um, this is like a one-on-one um, thing, you know, for, yeah. for, for people uh, to do. And there's like uh, thousands of, 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 of these, of these um, operations are being done every, every year, right? And obviously, there's doctors that are better at it. And then there's doctors that are not, you know, that are less better at it. So my, 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 my question is, is the system even designed for that? Because if I would always choose the best place to go to, then obviously that place at one time would be, let's say, overcrowded, right? Or what is the underlying issue here? Yeah, I think that's a, a, a good challenger. So of course, it depends on the complexity of the treatment, right? Like if something is very standard, has same complication rates across basically every doctor because it's so standard and everyone could do it, you could put a monkey there, then of course, you know, it doesn't really matter where you go. But that's also an answer. That's, that's something you as a patient should know, where I could say, hey, you know, for, for the treatment you need, it doesn't really matter where you go because it's so standard, it's so automated. You know, it's something where every doctor who operates on you does thousands of them every year and therefore is basically equally good. But there are also treatment categories and it doesn't even have to be like, you know, near death on, or, or not, but there are level of complexities that oftentimes comes with different levels of outcome depending on the doctor you choose you have some examples so uh cancer for example uh, to be uh, very very serious pretty serious and also here so there's there's a one simple rule in healthcare the more patients of a specific treatment you treat or a specific uh specific uh, intervention you do as a doctor the better you get right so the basic rule in healthcare is you want to go where the most case numbers of what you need are happening because this is where the practice is there. This is where you see the patients and all of that, right? And But even that basic number is pretty much impossible to get for a patient. Um, But then, you know, there are many more shades of gray where, uh, so just let let me take a step back. The, The best possible outcome or the best doctor for you is the doctor that can generate the best possible outcome for you, your type of patient. So in your case, it's young, male, physically active, otherwise healthy, but needs one specific thing. Whereas, you know, a different type of patients would perhaps be uh, above 80 years old, not mobile anymore, uh, mm-hmm. many comorbidities and female. And that patient will require a different set of skills from a doctor than a doctor that you would benefit from, right? So it gets much, it gets much deeper than that. And this is where we come in and say, you know, it's not, it's not just about choosing a doctor from a specific field. It's about choosing a doctor who is best matched to what you need. And again, there are a thousand examples of where where this this makes sense. So how do you find out? I mean, that, that basically comes down to the 
underlying challenge of, okay, how many patients does a doctor see with, you know, with um, specific symptoms, right? So yeah. uh, let's take a specific cancer type, right? And, and how many patients in the lifetime of that doctor does, does that doctor basically see, which then ultimately makes up his expertise, right? This is also kind of the challenge of where this um, challenging question that is being put out there for, let's say, AI possibilities of like, okay, you know, you have a doctor who sees a couple of thousands, let's say, patients uh, in, in his lifetime versus, let's say, okay, if you could accumulate everything, right, you would have like, obviously, a large, way larger knowledge base. But so, again, how, how do you find that out? So how do you find out which doctor has seen how many cases and what makes him basically then an expert for the specific, let's say, um, patient type? How do, you how do you match patient type to, let's say, doctor? So uh, we use sources that are available to us. So in some countries, you can actually look it up. Uh, in some countries, you can't. Um, if we can't, we ask the doctors directly. Um, so a lot of it is self-reported data. Um, and the third part, and that's the most powerful data source, is our own data. Once um, doctors work on our platform, we see exactly how many patients they get. We see, see exactly what uh, the outcome is we see the complication rates we see how happy patients are afterwards so basically we are generating our own database of medical data and that's the most trust that's basically the most trustworthy data that we have or or, or, or data quality that we have and that we use to refine and generate those recommendations Right. So you have a platform, right? So you have a, it's a, a two-sided. So you have the, the, the yeah. patients and you have the doctors, right? So you uh, probably started with the doctors, right? Onboarding doctors. So why, why do doctors um, sign up for Kuno Medical? What's their, what's, 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 what do you solve for them or why, why, what, what's their motivation to join? Their motivation to join is better patient service. So happier patients um, and less work. Um, and that's kind of a win-win situation. So by using Cuno Medical, pa their patients will have the opportunity to, you know, go through a patient to, to, to go, go through a patient experience that is a hundred times better than what's out there in the market. We have a net promoter score of 84. Like patients love what they use and what they have. And uh, through using technology and through using our platform, it doesn't generate more work for the doctors. In the contrary, it's it's more efficient because we use technology to, you know, work with the patients to automate a lot of things, uh, to make things accessible that weren't accessible before, and uh, all these things. So for for them, it's basically a no brainer. It's a no regret move to work with Qno because they get more happy patients with less work. Right, and they they also kind of become an uh, uh, automatic kind of recommendation engine for yourself, right? For the platform, basically sending their patients onto the platform. I mean, that's exactly what's happening. Um, I said at the beginning, you know, that that was the first step, and this is where we built from. Now um, we work with large hospital chains to say, hey, can you can you do this for all of our patients, not that's just the patients who and who start their journey at Cuno Medical? We want this technology for patients who start their journey somewhere else as well. And, um, and this is where, you know, this is where the power comes from when we get to work with those large hospitals and really get to change, they treat their patients outside of the operating room. Um, yeah, and take it from there. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so then let's dive deeper into kind of the business model. How, how did you start of like, 
kind of framing your market? Um, you know, did you start, let's say, only with the German market? Uh, how 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 big are we talking about in terms of kind of the the yeah. you know the number of patients? Um, and and then also obviously, what is what is kind of the underlying business model in the sense of like how do you how do you guys make money? So I always said that. I wanted to create a global platform that is available to all patients in this world. I never wanted to create a German solution for German patients and or an American solution for American patients. Um, so our platform was always open to all patients. Uh, but of course, you know, we started off with limitations. So our platform was built in English. So if you didn't speak English, then it would have been hard to now we are available in five different languages. So of course, you know, I'm not trying to say we've been open to everyone from day one, but that was that was always the thought behind it um, to not you know, close our service to anyone who's who's in need uh, with the limitations that 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 we have. Um, we were offering or still offering over 200 different treatment categories that are available. So basically, we're covering, I'd say, 98% of all treatments that are being performed in, in this world. So we also didn't want to put limitations on what type of patients, because we wanted to, you know, patients to come back and use our platform. And if you were just serving one specific treatment category, next time a patient needs a different type of treatment, they couldn't come back and use our platform again. And we wanted to be with the patient throughout the whole life cycle. And we wanted to create a solution that could work independent of uh, the healthcare system in place. So we wanted to have a solution that could work in a healthcare system like Germany or in the US and things like these. Um, so it was always, so those were kind of the design criteria behind it. Um, but of course, as I said, there are limitations um, from the, the so so that we had to start somewhere and had to scale. Uh, we were available in English and in German. Those were the first two languages. So that determined the markets that we were, were in. Um, our largest markets are the European, um, English and German speaking countries and the US at the moment. Right. And so because the platform is healthcare system agnostic, that kind of allowed you to like be kind of global, right? Because exactly a lot of a lot of the digital startups that you see in the US, for example, I mean, you know, they would be would be not relevant for the European Union just because the healthcare systems. Yeah, yeah, right? absolutely. That's, that's that's super interesting. I actually never, I actually never came across yet. Never came across a startup that kind of has this approach. It's actually quite quite amazing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, Let's talk about uh, the user base. I mean, you guys have been around for for six years now. What are what are some milestones? You know, what are what is well, how is growth looking like, and and where where are you heading? You know, what's what's your what's your vision with this? Uh, yeah, so we've been growing quite nicely. Um, you know, the, the industry that we're in is very complex, uh, and that's also something that uh, you know I. I I'm explaining to investors a lot. Um, if you start a digital health company, especially one that is so ingrained between all the stakeholders like us, between the hospitals, the patients, the insurance companies, and all of that, it's really hard to like expect a supercharged growth from day one because it's complex. You're dependent on many other players and things like these. However, you know when you look at our growth curve, um, it's it's been it's been going upwards very nicely. We've been growing between. Uh, 100 and 300 percent year over year, and that's something that we've we've keep been keeping up. I, I must say though, we saw a little bit of a flattening between 2019 and 20 due to COVID, um, and uh, and and that basically was resolved going into growth in 2021 again. Um, but when you look at our growth curve, there was a little bit of a 
it wasn't a dip, it was more of a flattening um, in that time as well. And that's also something that I think a lot of entrepreneurs, especially also in the digital health space, um, we're, we're, we're facing. Where are we heading? Um, world domination in a good sense. Um, our goal is to you know, reach more patients every single day and reach more doctors and hospitals every single day so that we can bring our service uh, to where it's needed and um, yeah, make healthcare more enjoyable, more efficient, and uh, to make it, you know, make it a place where people want to go rather than kind of, you know, hate to go. I mean, that's a good goal, right? So what's your kind of outlook? You know, do you want to keep it growing? Like sky's the limit? I don't know, domination in a good sense. What are other things that you're looking at? If you're looking at other things mm -hmm. in the sense of like outside of having two full-time jobs in the yeah. sense of being a founder and being a, being a mother, what trends or, or kind of like other things are you observing beyond kind of medical conversations that you have? Or I don't know, like, is there anything that you, that you have an eye on? Um, not for me personally, and also for Kuno. I know you, you know you might be now wanting to hear AI and telemedicine, and yeah. I don't know, like things like these. And you know, I I started to do angel investments as well, and those are the things that I do kind of for the love of healthcare. But yeah. I really think you know the fundamental problems in healthcare is not that we don't have AI. The fundamental health problems in healthcare is not that we uh, have. Uh, I don't know, not enough biomarkers to, to pre-diagnose things. I mean, all of these things are important and they are great to have, but the fundamental problems in healthcare are logistical problems, are inefficiencies, are lack of resources uh, and things like these. And to solve that, we shouldn't wait for an AI solution to come in because that's going to take another five to 10 years for it to really make a huge difference. I think, you know, we should use what other industries are already using. Basically, I don't want to say simple technology because technology isn't simple, but really look left and right. And what are the others doing? And really implement that into healthcare, um, such as customer service, such as process efficiencies, such as data-driven working, uh, such as transparency into an industry that is so important. All these things, I think, will have a much, much bigger impact in the short to medium term than all the other fancy things, which, again, are very important. And this is how you push the boundaries. And this is progress. And this is science and all of that. But for me, I want to I wanna solve those fundamental problems. Because if we don't solve those, we will never get to the next step where you know we can implement AI to for for that to make a difference. I think there's some 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 more fundamental things that are broken, right? Which are kind of system system based. I think like one of the biggest problems we have, especially on the really on the health side of getting insights and and you know pushing something forward in terms of treatments, finding new insights and things, is kind of. The problem of data not being really widely available. So like just like one example is that each kind of uh, hospital has kind of their database of things and things are not really being shared. And then, for example, if you look at the academic context, right, each uh, university hospital, you know, doing their own research on the same topic, right? And, you know, why not put things together? Because obviously you would have more data. You would unlock things that you cannot even imagine. How do you how do you see like also that moving forward through like such as for example in Germany we have these uh, digital applications that are now uh, being are being able to to subscribe by doctors 
How do you how do you see that? Are you pessimistic? Are you optimistic in that sense? A little bit of both. I think um, in Germany, it's it's been a really really big step for for uh, digital therapeutics to be kind of re- to, to, to that were made reimbursable in the market. I think Germany was really spearheading uh, regulation that you don't really see anywhere else in the world and. I, I thought that was a very bold move and um, I'm a big fan of this. However, <laughs> um, you know, having the regulation in place doesn't mean that it's gonna solve all the problems. Now you need to get the people who need to prescribe those digital therapeutics to actually trust that they're working and to actually do it. And I think this is where, you know, my skepticism comes in, in the part of the execution that um, kind of the, the doctors accept that as a new form of treatment, um, and also in as a consequence, convince patients that this is you know a new type of treatment that is as trustworthy as you know swallowing a pill or even you know even more effective. And I feel like this is where a lot of work needs to be done going forward for it to really take off. Yeah, absolutely. I, I also think that it's it's like in their early days. I mean, if you look at the statistics, right, of how many have <laughs> subscribed, right, by doctors, uh, it 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 kind of shows you the indication. I think we're super early in this, um, but again, uh, exciting times, right? You know, kind of as a, a last question because we're running out of time. I, I told you already pre-recording, right? Uh, uh, I I find your I find your story super motivational. I I find it super. What's that kind of one? thing that you would like to share with with our listeners you know potential also like female listeners that are either you know working in the tech space or or not you know like how do you cope with the difficulties or the challenges that be there or not there for for women in in, in this world you know in, in in this specific tech world you know but then also with like for example the challenge of like what what you know how do you how do you adapt when you have a baby for example like these things you know because you know obviously these are these are some fundamental things, right? Mm. Yeah, I think I'm. I'm not claiming that you know I, I have the recipe for for everything here, um, but I think you know what has helped me is throughout all the time is to not get discouraged by anything or anyone. That doesn't mean that you should be naive all the time or ignore you know opinions or 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 uh, or. or yeah, other, what, what other people say, but I think, you know, don't, don't get discouraged by making yourself too small or by not trusting your skills and what you can bring to the table. It's more than you might think. Um, and often that's the case. And one thing that, you know, I always keep in mind is that, you know, the difference, the biggest difference between the people who make it and the people who don't make it is that both of them fall down seven times, but the person who makes it gets up an eighth time. And I know, you know, those are all just, it's easier said than done. And I've been there and it's super hard to get up again, but there's no way around. There's no way around than getting up again an eighth and ninth and 10th time. What an ending. This was super inspirational. Sophie, thank you so much for being on the show. This was really great. Well, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun.